The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. On this episode, we talk with Nathan Teske, the executive director of BN Star. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. Welcome again. We are in the studio with Nathan Teske, who is executive director for BN Star. How are you doing? Good. Good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks. You know, I'm going to read uh, some of the mission and 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 what BN Star does, and then we're going to start to pick that apart a little bit because it is, uh, on one level, seems pretty straightforward. On another level, more complex. So, since 1981, BN Star's mission has been to build housing hopes and futures for the well-being of our community. Um, and you guys operate 12 multifamily properties. Is that correct. That's correct. And more than 500 families. Our house there. That's correct. And over 95%, so really almost, you know, the the far vast majority of, of your residents are Latino and many are immigrants. That is also correct. Yes. Great. Um, let's start with, with um, where where is this housing and what do you mean you build housing? Are you actually, are these, is this new housing? Is this existing housing? When you say you're building housing, is that more the concept of getting people under a roof? Yeah. Yes, so we are uh, a nonprofit housing developer, and what that means is, as you were saying, we build housing, we work with contractors and architects to secure the financing, and then to build affordable housing. And and just so your listeners know, when we talk about affordable housing, the goal of that is to house low-income households, and that they don't pay more than 30% of their income in rent. So that's the goal, that those families can build a little savings and afford to live affordably. And so BN Star is owns the houses and then rents them out. That's correct. Yes. Okay. And and is is there a home ownership that is a goal at, at at part of this? There is actually. That's something we just started last year. Uh the most of the families we work with, a good percentage of them I'll add are farm workers. So they're these are uh properties to the west of Portland, Washington County, Hillsboro, a little bit further west from there. Still part of Portland Metro, but um, to the west. Many of them are farm worker. About 60% of the households have a person in the household who's working in agriculture. Um, and so, yes, we, we secure financing from places like the state of Oregon, from federal government, sometimes from local governments, to build properties uh, so that we can rent more affordably. We're not a market rate developer. We're not trying to increase the rents every year or maximize our profit. We're just trying to, as I said, have families live and not pay more than 30% of their income in rent. And can you describe some of the houses? Are, are, are these um, architecturally stunning? Are these architecturally uh, utilitarian? What, what, what are we looking at? Runs the gamut. Runs yep. the gamut. We have some that really are architecturally stunning. Um, we work with a couple of really top firms, architectural firms in Portland. Um, so some of the more recent developments we have are very beautiful properties, in my opinion, very nice places to live. Uh, back about 12 years ago, my organization acquired some kind of rundown market rate apartments in a part of Hillsborough that had a lot of issues. 
and then we converted them to affordable, meaning that then we're now charging these lower rents. Um, those are not architecturally stunning. They weren't <laughs> built, to, you know, they were built cheaply by somebody trying to make a buck as fast as they could. And they're kind of the closest thing Hillsborough have to kind of like slumlord kind of situation. So we're trying to make them better, obviously, and livable, but... So, yeah. and then and then along with the the actual physical uh, benefits that you're providing, um, are there are there classes in terms of budget, you know, uh, uh, management, um, and, and it, that's all part of this, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, we have, uh, as you mentioned, a little over 500 families. Uh, most of the people living in our house in our apartments are families, meaning parents with children. Uh, Latino families often have intergenerational, so there's sometimes grandpa, grandma, other elderly relatives. Um, we do have uh, financial training, uh, budgeting classes. Those go along with um, both the home ownership program that we've just developed last year to provide counseling to people. So if we have somebody in our properties who's eligible to buy a house and financially can afford it, we will help them do that. But we also have a program for high school age youth to save to go on to college. And so that budgeting is a part of that. We have a match saving program. Where if they save a dollar, they get three dollars towards tuition or other expenses when they go to college. And and I, I want to go back to some of the history of uh, Bien Star and yeah. and so nineteen eighty one. Nineteen eighty one's a long time ago. Uh, you know, I mean, but yes. it's especially in terms of uh, Oregon and the Portland metro area and and its economic and housing development. Yes, I can only imagine that uh, the need for affordable housing has intensified as in the access that your organization has to obtaining housing. Yes, uh, that's certainly true. Things have changed a whole heck of a lot, uh, and the demand for, for affordable housing is very high. The history of my organization goes back to, to those of your listeners who, who know the history of farm workers in our state. Uh, it used to be a largely migrant pattern where people would come into the state, work for four or five months, and move to other California or Washington. Over time, those people have increasingly settled in, in places like Oregon. And so when Bienestar built its first property back in 1981, it was with the uh, goal of moving families who were living often in very substandard temporary camps uh, with no indoor plumbing, uh, pretty appalling conditions. So that's really the history and the origin of my organization, building housing for those. Over time, we've grown to provide housing to others as well, uh, but that's still very much part of our roots. Okay. And 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 what is the length of the relationship that you have with these families? And by that I mean is there a uh, you know a, a period of time that you say okay you we, we will provide this housing for 3 years or is, or is it is it a, a open-ended relationship? Yeah, it's a great question. Um it's open-ended as long as the family's income stays within a certain range. So we um, we try not to be, you know, uh, onerous, but every year we do need to check the household's income. And so it depends on the property. But in general, if the household goes over a certain income level where we know that they can now afford something in the market, right, mm -hmm. our goal is to help people that need it. So if they can afford something in the market, then we, we by our funding sources require us to ask them to leave. And and how 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 often does that occur? I mean and, and can we can you give me just sort of a walk through a cycle of a relationship that you have with uh, a family? Absolutely. Yeah. So um I'm trying to not avoid some jargon because we all work <laughs> in our industries and, and it's easy to lapse into jargon. But 
Um, for example, we might have a household of four. Let's take that's the kind of standard thing. People say, okay, two parents, two kids. Um, and you might have one worker working in that household. And let's say they're working in a nursery or a winery in Washington County. Um, their, work, they may make, their work may be seasonal. They may not work 12 months out of the year. They work eight or nine months. Their income might be $30,000, let's say, or, or less for, for a household of four. Uh, if that fam- so we have families like this where they started that way. Over time, maybe the person gets a promotion. They're, if they're a good employee, they get a promotion or they branch out. Uh, to other jobs in that industry. Maybe the the second adult starts working in the household. It's also common in immigrant families for the kids when they get old enough to also start earning and supporting the family. So we see that where maybe one of the kids gets to be 18, doesn't move out, uh, and starts also uh, earning income. So we've had families that move from that below $30,000 range all the way up to $70,000, $80,000. And by that point... Um, they can either afford to rent an apartment in the open market or consider buying a house and, and building wealth that way. Um, it's a key thing, you know, when you look at the history of Portland and the discrimination that existed in Portland around communities of color, we know that um, intergenerational wealth in, in the white community is heavily tied to home ownership, right? And so in our this new program I mentioned, we're trying to, to allow uh, our families to have that opportunity to, to, to build wealth, pass it down to their kids if they have that opportunity. So, Nathan Teske is executive director for BN Star. And now you guys have an annual event uh, at, at uh, well, Revolution Hall. So let's, I want to, let's pull in one of the bands from then and take a listen. You want to pick one of them? Sure. I don't know which ones you got standing by here, but we're going to have Luz Mendoza uh, y La Bamba, and they're going to play Boca Llena. Or they did play Boca Llena at Revolution Hall. Wonderful. Lo si lo veo, lo que no se ve y lo que no se llora, lo que puede ser canción de vida, palabra tierna y boca llena, de pura malicia 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 y boca llena, boca llena, boca llena, boca llena. Sola, sola si me despido ¿A quién le importa si me voy? ¿A quién le importa si me voy o si me retiro? Se oye, se oye la voz del pasado Con calma yo esperaré Acompañada con la
This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm Phil Bussey. I am joined with Nathan Teske, who is Executive Director for BN Star. Uh, they have a wonderful annual event, um, Un, Una Noche. De... <laughs> Let's yeah. try that one more I, time. I, I, I can you help say you out, it, so how's that? So it's Una Noche de Bienestar. And uh, if I can share a little bit about the history of that, that means a night of well-being, literally translated. And our organization is called Bienestar, which, which means well-being in Spanish. Uh, this is our second year doing this. Uh, last year, we had uh, Esperanza Spalding perform for us. That's a big deal. Uh, which is a very big deal. It was an incredibly awesome event. She played it at the Ecotrust building. And uh, we called that event an evening of Esperanza, which means an evening of hope. And so she wasn't able to join us again this year. Uh, but uh, we wanted to build on the on the energy and momentum from that event. We got to meet some wonderful musicians uh, one of them is this guy, Papi Fimbes, who, who plays for multiple bands around town. He's the leader of this group, Orchestra Pacifico Tropical, which is going to be playing or is playing at our event. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the history there. It's a fundraiser for us as well. So, Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's let's talk just a little bit about that in terms of uh, where where is the funding coming from? This is not a this is not a, a uh, small budget consideration. Uh, correct to, 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 to produce an event like this. Or? No, your overall funding in terms of oh, to purchase yeah. buildings. Oh yes. Um, try them. I mean, obviously, once they're built and you have a revenue stream, right. it's easier to sustain. But to to get the, that initial, where where are you finding funding, and you know, and, and thinking about in terms of getting mortgages for the buildings, uh, is right. that a tricky proposition? Those are two different questions I just yeah. dropped on you. Absolutely. It is a tricky proposition. Um, so I think there's two things to say. One is we're fundraising for our nonprofit that's the, the owner of these properties. We have eight staff, uh, and three of those staff are devoted to doing this housing work, development, making sure the properties are running well, making sure the property management company is doing their job. And so we're fundraising for that, for our nonprofit. To actually build and operate the properties, we need we need to secure funding from um, the state of Oregon, which provides grants, the federal government, which provides tax credits to investors, and we also take on debt. We also have mortgages on our buildings, um, and so we usually combine those three sources uh, to allow us to not to carry too much debt. If anyone who has a mortgage or you know pays the rent for that matter knows, you know. If you can get the operating cost down low enough, you can charge a low enough rent and still have everything work out financially. So our event is a fundraiser for our core nonprofit. Yeah. And 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 then in terms of that, does does that put your organization in the role of landlord, um, which you know can sometimes be a very uh, heavy duty word? I mean, how much how how do you how do you stay out of being landlord and be more of an opportunity builder? 
It's a great question. Uh, it's a great question because we are trying to be an opportunity builder, as you say. But every once in a while, we have a tenant or a situation that requires us to be a little more heavy-handed and play the landlord role. Now, if it's a situation where we know, let's say, someone lost a job or and, and their issue really is just they can't meet the rent payments, they're otherwise good tenants, we will do everything we can to work with them. If, however, they're doing uh, things like break, clearly breaking the lease or, uh, you know, I'm sure your listeners know all the kinds of things people can do to violate their lease, having parties till 3 in the morning or just trashing the place, yeah, then we do need to step in and sometimes ask people to leave. So, um, let, Let's talk a little bit more positively then. And, sure. and, then, and so uh, am, am I being optimistic in thinking that these apartment buildings then become sort of community centers or some sort of – is there – community building that's part of this. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's one thing I think uh, I'm very proud of at Bienestar. Star. If you, if you came on to one of our properties and were able to tour them, you would see that uh, in most cases, the architecture is itself community building in terms of allowing people to interact. Uh, we have community rooms in all of our properties for activities. Uh, the tenants can use those community rooms for their own uh, parties if they rent them. But we also hold classes there. We hold activities there. We hold... Uh, meetings with tenants there, um, and, and we have programs to support all that, so very much so. Um, I often say that if you walk through one of our properties, it's kind of like walking through a little Latino town that you might in South America or, or, or Central America. So. It sounds like you guys should have a reality TV show around this. I mean, there's sort of something uh, like Melrose Place meets, I'm not really sure what it would meet, but 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 something that could be very, uh, I mean, it just sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's... Uh, there's a saying in Spanish, which I'll quote, which is Pueblo Chico Inferno Grande, which means small town, there's a lot of gossip. So we have both the good and the bad that happens with that. We have a lot of sense of community, and, and I think that's really a positive thing. But, you know, people know each other, and so sometimes they get into each other's business, too. Yeah. But, it, but it's it's almost always in good good faith. So. And and I, I want to talk a little bit about you and how you landed in this executive director position. So sure. you were you you went to Reed College, is that correct? I did. And you were a PhD student, uh, uh, some sort of poli sci PhD student at, at at Cal Berkeley. I was. So this this is I mean, you're it's that's an academic track, right? From, what from 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 yeah. <laughs> well, not what, what happened. happened or, or... Yeah. So I was teaching. I taught for a couple of years as an assistant professor at Reed College, visiting assistant professor. And that wasn't turning into a permanent gig. And uh, academics is a pretty tough business. I didn't want to leave Portland at that point. I had reasons to be to want to stay here. And so uh, I started volunteering at an agency where I could practice my Spanish. That was really my initial motivation. And that was El Programa Hispano out in Gresham, actually. Um, and then from there, that led to a job, and then that led to another job, and then ultimately led to the job I have now. I mean, it seems like it, it seems like a really fun balancing uh, between uh, political science and and community building and not just being in the classroom, but actually being out and, and I mean, truly, literally building community and building buildings. That sounds exciting. Yes, it is. I, uh, You know, sometimes you discover things later in life. I, I realized after I got into it and got my first teaching job that uh, most of academics is about publishing. And that's kind of a solitary venture. When I was in school, I had all my colleagues and friends, and we were kind of all in it together. And once I actually got a job as a professor, I realized that wasn't really my thing. So I like the social aspect of the work I do now. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask this question earlier, and I, and I forgot. But how do people find out about you, about the, about, uh, the organization? 
You mean like if they want to apply to live in? If they the... want to apply to live there. I mean, where? Yeah. yeah so uh, you may not be surprised to hear that most of our properties have long wait lists to to get in uh, because of the demand uh, so high. Um, a lot of it at this point is word of mouth. Honestly, you know, uh, many of the immigrant communities are very word of mouth based, but we have um, marketing techniques that we use with the property managers. Um, for example, some of our farm worker properties. If for some reason we're having uh, vacancies and we can't fill them, we will have managers go out to meet with um, companies, that wineries, uh, Oregon Berry, various companies that work in this area, and say, hey, we have housing. You have workers who need housing, and uh, come apply over here. So. I mean, it just it just seems like such a great program and, and, and changing some of the narrative about what uh, a migrant worker or, 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 or um, farm workers uh, has been. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we have many, uh, you know, f if you haven't seen these folks, I mean, they're incredibly hardworking. And, and again, many of them are immigrant families. And I know it's a cliche, but they truly, really believe in the American dream. And they truly, in many cases, want to achieve that kind of old fashioned, uh, dream. And many of them make tremendous sacrifices for their kids. Um, they come from places where the opportunities afforded their their families are limited, and so um, you. I'm astounded. We work really hard at it, but I'm always inspired by the community we're part of. That how hard our residents are working to. You know, and and the more that we talk about it, the 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 more complex this seems. You know, I, I, I'm starting to realize that obviously, with all these families living in one area, they are a big part of a specific school district. I would imagine. Absolutely. So we, absolutely. How does that how does that play into the work that that you do? Do you have conversations with the school district is formally or informally and, and... all the time, all <laughs> the time. So we a, there are two school districts we primarily operate in, which is Hillsborough and Forest Grove. And uh, we have a top employee from the Hillsborough School District on our board of directors. So he's very involved that way. Uh, we do cross-programming with Forest Grove, for example, we are working out an arrangement where they can provide early childhood programming on site in our properties. And that just means meeting with parents, working with them as they raise their young children, good techniques to, to uh, you know, brain development, even things like that. So, um, so that's an example of a collaboration with the school district. Uh, it's, it's, it's so great. It's just, yeah. it's really nice to hear about the work you're doing and, and about the, uh, the fun events that you guys are host, hosting. Nathan Teske is executive director for BN Star. Thank you for coming in and, and uh, let's do, uh, you know, because this is in the vicinity of the your annual event, let's do one more song from uh, your lineup. Sure. How about Flor de Oro from Orquestra Pacifico Tropical? Thank you, sounds great. <laughs>
The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.